Welcome to the Outdoor Feast by Modern Carnivore. If you're new to hunting, fishing, or foraging, we welcome you to the conversation. Get ready for stories and insights that start in the Northeast, but range to the South, Far West, and wide open spaces in between. Now, here's your host, Todd Waldron. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Outdoor Feast. Hope you're all well. It's early August, and I'm not sure how that happened already, but summer's flying by. Hope you're getting outside, enjoying the summer. Been doing a little bit of camping and fishing and a whole lot of swimming. It's been hot here in northern New York, but it's been a good summer and uh, thankful to get outdoors here. So hope you can as well. And uh, this week, I am excited to be talking with Matt Ross and Hank Forrester from Quality Deer Management Association about their Field to Fork mentoring program. So a little bit of backstory here. Back last year, 2019, uh, QDMA had a Field to Fork program going in a couple of different spots in New York. And Matt Ross lives pretty close to me in northern New York in the southern Adirondack capital region and um, reached out, let me know that there was a Field to Fork event going on in the Saratoga region. And we partnered up through New York Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and New York DEC and Cornell Cooperative Extension to, to be a small part of the QDMA Field to Fork program here. So it was, it was a wonderful experience, and that's what we're talking about this week. You know, we're going over the ins and outs of the Field to Fork program. And what's intriguing to me, backing up a little bit, was just like, what does mentorship and what do farmers markets and what do learn to hunt programs have to do with quality deer management and QDMA's mission? And so Hank is talking a little bit about that and Matt's talking a little bit about that because it's intriguing and they're doing great work and it's, um, it's making a tangible difference for new hunters in a whole bunch of states outside of New York as well. I uh, just want to give a shout out to Quality Deer Management Association and the National Deer Alliance who recently announced their merger together to form a super conservation group for the future of deer and uh, deer hunting and deer conservation. It's really exciting. Back, I think it was July 7th, that that was announced. And uh, it's got big implications for the challenges with deer management moving forward with things like chronic wasting disease, with where we are with the uh, hunting numbers and license sales and everything like that. It's going to be really exciting to see what the future holds for QDMA and with the National Deer Alliance and the future of deer in North America. So just want to give them a shout out. Uh, another thing that we're excited about in this conversation is that a lot of our podcast episodes, you know, are geared toward helping new hunters with tips and advice. And we're encouraging people to get involved in a learn to hunt program, whether it's field to fork or whatever it might be in your area or state or neighborhood. But also what we did here is we also talked a little bit about tips for mentors. So uh, we had a conversation about our advice as mentors in a program and just like for people that are kind of on the fence as like asking the question, can I be a mentor? You know, do I have the time or what are my concerns? Um, can I be a mentor? Should I be a mentor? The thing is, is absolutely yes. If You don't have to have years and years of experience to be able to do that. So whether you've been hunting one year, 10 years, 20 years, doesn't matter. 
uh, just get out there and take somebody new hunting. And I hope that our tips will, will help you build the confidence to be able to do that and the comfort level. If you haven't checked out Modern Carnivores Hunting Camp Live platform yet, go ahead and do that when you can. Check it out. Uh, Mark is doing some great work there. He's got some great courses coming up, so stay tuned. And uh, we appreciate your support. So here we are uh, with the Field to Fork program, talking about our stories as mentors and farmers markets and what deer management has to do with mentorship with Matt Ross and Hank Forrester of Quality Deer Management Association. Thanks for listening. Matt Ross and Hank Forrester, Quality Deer Management Association, QDMA. Welcome to the Outdoor Feast Podcast. How are you guys today? Doing great. Thanks for having us, Todd. Yeah, absolutely. Doing great. Thanks, Todd. Well, it's uh, it's been something I've been looking forward to a long time. Last year here in New York, we had a great experience with the Field Fork program, and that's what we're here to talk about and all the great work that QDMA is doing. If you're a locavore and you're thinking about ways that you can source your own food, this episode's for you. And we're talking about the Field to Fork program through QDMA and the connection to food. And uh, this is a conversation that's going to be a lot of fun. So let's just talk about your backgrounds a little bit first, and then we'll talk about the inspiration for Field to Fork and how it all got started. And the connection, what I think is pretty cool is the connection between the food aspect of things and all the other great work that QDMA does. Like when people outside of QDMA think about what your, your charter is and your mission is, we think about all the great habitat work you do and wildlife management and age class structures and stuff like that. And then to bring it into the food aspect and mentoring is just incredible. So tell us a little bit about what you do at QDMA and how you got started with it. Sure, sure. Um, again, Hank Forster, I'm the Assistant Director of Hunting Heritage at QDMA. I've uh, been there about seven years, and, um, you know, I grew up in a somewhat hunting family, mo- mostly non-hunting. You know, my father and my mother do not hunt, um, but I grew up in western North Carolina where there's this rich heritage of mountain men and early frontier, and I just always had this natural affinity for the outdoors. My grandmother was, I call her a naturalist, you know, not kind of an anti-hunter. But I had an uncle who hunted, so, you know, going to Thanksgiving dinner, I would hear about hunting previously that morning, you know, as we were eating Thanksgiving, or I was lucky enough that I had a mentor three doors up the street eventually, a, a good friend and his father, and they got me into hunting, and, uh, you know, I've, I've done a few things in fishing guide or hunting guide or, or whatever, but I traveled abroad some and realized that, you know, we, we're fortunate what we have in this country, and, and we take it fairly for granted and I realized I wanted to work in conservation and uh, somebody said to me one day that if you wanted a job in conservation figure out how to get the next generation involved but um, that's how I got to QDMA I've uh, been managing the hunting heritage program for uh, as I said seven years and uh, and we came up with build the fork um, you know in in the way that we run it uh, in 2016. Love it got a lot to talk about there so we're going to get back to that Matt Tell us a little bit about your background. You have a forestry background, kind of like me, right? And, and uh, talk a little bit about how that intersected with QDMA and how you got involved with all of this up here in New York. Yeah, great. Uh, happy to. Yeah, so I, I actually grew up downstate a little bit um, where Todd and I live pretty close to each other, a little bit further north than I am uh, in the state, but I actually grew up in Dutchess County, so downstate a little bit, still along the Hudson River, grew up hunting. And um, 
you know, my, my father introduced me at a young age, so I have more of a traditional uh, introduction to, to hunting. And uh, decided I wanted to go to school for that. You know, I was in um, looking forward to, to something, whether that was in environmental conservation law, you know, being a law enforcement officer or forestry or wildlife, but I was really, really enjoying the wildlife side of things. So I went to school for it, um, stayed through in the Northeast through uh, undergrad and graduate uh, school. And after where it started working as a private consultant, as a uh, forestry and wildlife consultant in New England. I went to, to uh, grad school in New Hampshire, and that's where I settled and uh, did that. Worked with uh, landowners primarily, but townships and businesses to basically set up management of properties. And I uh, was introduced to QDMA back in like the late 90s, and I joined, uh, became a member uh, started a local branch. We call them branches instead of chapters. And I was a volunteer for a number of years and, and uh, eventually interviewed and got a job. And I've been with QDMA in various roles for 14, almost 15 years. And uh, I now am Hank's counterpart in the conservation department on the assistant director of conservation. So we're in the same department. And um, we have a local branch of QDMA in this part of New York. We have uh, over a dozen branches in the state. So one of my primary job responsibilities is um, education. We do a lot of different things through uh, trainings online and in person, and that's what I do. I oversee field staff that, that work with private landowners. But on the hunting heritage side of things, I was very, very intrigued. And it might have been like the timing with my time of life, you know, having kids and starting to really think less selfishly and more selflessly about kind of giving back in my own way of hunting. And when Hank came on and started the Field to Fork program, it really intrigued me. And uh, it, it was a top-down type thing where we had a, a program, a pilot program that I hope we talk about down there in Georgia at our national office. Um, and once we really vetted that, was really pushing our local branches in the country to, to do them. And uh, although I'm a full-time employee, I get paid by QDMA, I also volunteer. So I go to all of our local branch events and um, wasn't hard to convince me to hold one of these events locally. Um, I talked to the, my fellow volunteers and said, we need to do it. It took a little bit of convincing on the local level, but once we did it, I, I mean, we were really full in as a, as, a, as a group. And we held our inaugural Field to Fork program in this part of New York anyway, last year. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to doing that again, Todd. But I, before we even got, we were already starting to see success. and so our local branch reached out to other conservation organizations and that's where Todd and I met was you're the state chapter president for BHA and I reached out knowing that there was a potential partnership there and that's where we started talking. I'm really glad to have you say locally that you wanted to be involved. So our program went real well. We weren't the first place in New York to hold a field of fork program. We have others that have happened including one out in Rochester that's a couple years old but uh, we did a great event and uh, got some people their first year. And I think one of the best byproducts that Todd and I have talked about is we've introduced some new hunters um, here locally and nationally, a bunch of them. And, and we formed some new friends that way. But I'm really uh, uh, one of the one of the cool indirect by, byproducts of this local event was the partnerships that we created, not only between our two NGOs, but other organizations as well. Cornell Cooperative Extension, some local farms, even another uh, chapter or branch of QDMA. And it was really, really successful. I enjoyed it and looking forward to, to doing more of it this fall. 
So that's kind of my introduction to not only what I do with QDMA and where I came about, but uh, how Todd and I met. Yeah. So we have a lot to talk about with last yeah. year and some of our personal stories and perspectives and everything. And uh, you just said so much, Matt, that you covered a lot of ground and it's great stuff. And like the partnerships are so important. And uh, I'm happy actually to announce that I'm the the newly retired chair of Backcountry oh. Hunters and Anglers. So I'm okay. like, so now I'm doing more fly tying and fishing, but uh, I'm still mentoring. So <laughs> good for you. So, good for you. So, so this year we've got, you know, we've got work to do in the field, but uh, I'm relaxing and kicking my heels up a little bit after several years of a lot of work. It's great volunteering there that is, but um, so we're going to get back to like just yeah. perspectives and stuff on the local ground and how incredible that was. And, Hank, let's talk a little bit about the impetus and the, you know, the inspiration for the pilot project. There's a lot of mentorship R3 stuff going on out there. I think this one has a really unique aspect to it in terms of how you approached it. So you want to uh, just elaborate a little bit on your pilot project and how you approached the whole thing for getting things started. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm excited for uh, to hear more and y'all's input on New York and, and the quick summary, um, I've been fortunate in my position at, at QDMA. They've given me the opportunity to try, try new things and get out there. But it's also been a, a good time to be in this business with the advent of R3, recruitment, retention, reactivation. Most listeners are probably familiar with it. But it's you know kind of still a new concept and an emerging market. And um, I was fortunate enough to sit on the selection panel and the steering committee for the first cooperatively hired R3 professional for the state of Georgia. So I, I got a, you know, kind of a front row seat to the formation of a state R3 plan, a step down from the national plan previously written, but also got a, um, a co-founder in Phil DeFork. So we hired an R3 professional for the state of Georgia. His name's Charles Evans. And, um, you know, I was just thinking, like, how can I take advantage of this opportunity in Georgia and, and do something that would fit a lot of different communities and stuff and something that we could replicate through through QDMA and through our branches. And so over uh, lunch one day, I, I told Charles that I had had conversations with the Athens Farmers Market, and I think it was the previous fall. They were doing chef demonstrations, and I watched a chef make ricotta cheese you know, local chef at a local kind of farm to table restaurant was doing a chef demo. And I thought, man, I wonder if this crowd, you know, there are 40 or 50 people sitting around in folding chairs, just watching her do this. And I was like, I wonder if they would be interested in like people bringing in a deer and breaking down a deer at the farmer's market. And so I reached out to the market manager and they were, they were all about it. You know, come on, when, when can you do it? And, um, a, a at the time, you know, and, and confidence is all any of this is about it. It's about building confidence and confidence in the mentor or the teacher or whatever, too. I didn't have the confidence. I didn't feel like I was the right person to stand in front of 50 people at the farmer's market and break down a deer. And there's 100 ways to skin a cat or whatever, and everybody does it different. I do it my own way. I can do it. But, um, you know, that's often not one of the subjects I teach at, at, at a field to fork. But we never could get it to work. And so I mentioned this to Charles at lunch that day, and I said, like, here, why don't we just, we take some venison samples and set up a table at the farmer's market and offer venison samples and see what happens. And we thought, well, we'll, if people take us up on it, we'll accept eight first-time hunters 
And honestly, we were like, we'll figure it out after the fact, you know, we'll figure out what, how we're going to do it. I, I have, you know, we, we had experience or I had experience running um, youth hunts and, and first time adult events, military hunts, you know, where, where we traditionally focused on our three. But I mean, it's obvious we've all seen it and, and around us with, you know, I've, probably Michael Pollan, you know, an omnivore's dilemma, you know, kind of this food focused advent of organic uh, restaurants and supermarkets and, you know, farm to table restaurants, whatnot. We, it, it's obvious that there was a target market out there and these people would show up at a farmer's market and, and move into a town and being, um, you know, in my peer group, when I, when I moved to Athens, Georgia to work for QDMA, um, I often told people I worked in conservation. I'm sure a lot of people have had this experience. And, and then, you know, a couple of weeks later, I might see them again. And I'd be like, well, I'm going hunting this weekend. And they're like, oh, but I thought you said you work in conservation. So obviously there was this huge disconnect, but, you know, all these people showed interest in hunting. And, and we just thought like, hey, let, let's try this. I didn't think it was a crazy idea um it just it's it's kind of how you know the dominoes lined up or whatever so we set up a table we actually called the kentucky fish and wildlife they were running a food focused hunting workshop called field to fork and qdma volunteers in kentucky were were heavily involved in it and so i was familiar with it and i called kentucky and i asked if we could use their their name and they had no problem. We asked if we could use their logo, flyer. They, they sent us the whole gamut. So got to give credit where credit's due. The, the name and logo in its current state were invented by the um, designers from Kentucky Fish and Wildlife Magazine, um, OB. Um, I'm not going to come up with his last name. But they graciously allowed us to use their name and logo. We set up this table. We offered um, you know some grilled tenderloin, some um, jerky, and some uh, venison sausage and just let off with hey would you like to try some venison we printed out a big flyer we didn't know what to expect um, but um, if you look back at our website you can probably find an original photo um, you know we had a line we had a lot of different people um, give us a lot of different reactions we we, we hardly ever get attacked um, it's you know obviously 82 percent of Americans approve of hunting deer and turkey for food but um, in three hours, a Saturday market, I guess actually four hours, we had a waiting list. We had signed up eight and had a waiting list. And um, we had a really young group. We had two undergraduates. So they ranged from like 18 to 47, um, all walks of life from, you know, uh, teachers to um, engineers, um, organic farmers. That year, we um, contracted out the University of Georgia's Deer Research Facility graduate students as our mentors. We had a young crowd. We paired them with young mentors in you know, graduate school. Um, we had a fairly successful program. We did not kill any deer on our organized hunts. We put them through two evening trainings for three hours each. Half of it was shooting crossbows, eating venison, having a few adult beverages after it, you know, just having that social aspect of it, which I'm sure y'all found beneficial in, in, in your replication. But we, we went hunting. It was hot. I'm not sure anybody shot, but it, it, everyone had fun. And then we ended up, you know, offering follow-up hunts. And it quickly became apparent that I think three of the eight harvested their first year that year, and three of the eight were sitting with either myself or Charles, the Georgia R3 coordinator, when they harvested their first year. And we realized this this isn't a model that works. You know, it's a great thing. These people want to learn to hunt. They're hungry for the venison. Um, you can bring a, a diverse group together and have a lot of fun. 
but we needed better mentors, you know, and, and so that's when we kind of married it. We, the next year in 2017, we expanded the program. We recruited the local Athens QDMA branch as mentors, asked them to share their stands. We, we offer some access and we, you know, when we originally started, we called around on tax ID maps and we got permissions. We didn't, we didn't heavily rely on our permissions that we currently have because we wanted to show this was a replicable process to the first time hunters. And that's really our main focus and what we did is we wanted to create a learn to hunt program that was food focused, that, that was efficient and used all the, the data and the recommendations that we had learned and seen work through different R3 programs or ideals. And so that's exactly what we did. We, we created like a mentor mentee, you know, we try to pair them, but it's all about, you know, we know that creating a hunter, the goal is that they self identify as a hunter. Uh, you know, that's the, that's how we actually finish the step. And so how do you do that? I believe it's, it's just confidence. Uh, you know, I always say you, they have to have confidence to take care of an animal. They'll never go again, but to self identify as a hunter, it's confidence. So we tried to build into this, you know, a program that would give them what they needed. We, we teach them basic biology of the animal they're going after. We teach them about conservation and, and why we're hosting that program. Obviously teach them some hunting approaches and take them afield and show them different stands and, you know, signs of deer. Um, we teach them safety and just um, overall, you know, tactics, but it's really just about creating a community, as I'm sure y'all have figured out. And, and guiding these, these new hunters that have had longstanding interests, many of them. It's not like, you know, um, they're pure novice. Uh, so sometimes we faulted ourselves when we collected all this data. We do pre, post, and, and, and long-term surveys. So we collect data. We look at their license purchase history down the road. Um, but we found that there are a lot of adults out there who have longstanding desires to hunt. And there's not a lot of great avenues to get out there and do it. And we wanted to offer uh, an avenue to do that that could be sustainable and replicable. And that's kind of what we did. And, um, and you, you know, obviously, y'all have taken it and run with it in your side. But we've done it four years now. Um, you know, we've, we've run as many as uh, 24 through programs. Um, many places start with just a few. We've hosted Field to Forks for Industry, and we'll host a big one this fall with NSSF for some Georgia gun companies. Hopefully we hosted employees of Ruger and six hour firearm manufacturers who, you know, that came from a girl reaching out to us, commenting on an original field to fork post and saying, is there anything like this where I'm from? And she was an engineer at the Ruger facility in New Hampshire. So we, we hosted one for Traeger grill employees. We partnered with, um, you know, state agency and, and all kinds of different partners. Uh, BHA on many, but I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't jump back and just say that our original pilot was a cooperative pilot where it was National Wild Turkey Federation, Georgia DNR, Georgia Wildlife Federation, QDMA. So we've, we've kind of taken this model of bringing partners together, bringing people who in local communities, um, you know, obviously some of the replications, we do destination four day consolidated events, but where it really is most efficient and effective is exactly how you guys ran it up there in New York, these community based programs with local hunters signing up to, to donate some of their time and access and an opportunity to mentor a new hunter, give them the opportunity for that trial phase and 
and really build their confidence because that's what it takes. It takes that community. It takes you guys as great mentors. And it shows that we can create hunters through these programs and in, you know, a season or, or a few hunts, um, maybe, maybe they just become a friend on your cell phone and they text and ask you questions or we've, we've worked, walked people through how to clean deer on FaceTime way down the road when they, they needed a little more confidence. But, um, as you've seen, it's really about just bringing together a diverse group of people who want to learn to hunt and a diverse group of hunters who are willing to give back and, uh, and turn it into a community effort. Community and partnerships, right? I mean, yeah. and you, you answered some questions downstream I was going to ask you about what participants can expect just by kind of sharing like how the program rolls. Matt can elaborate a little bit about our New York program here. I'm going to say that your approach to going to farmer's markets is brilliant on about 18 different levels. I think that that approach I can think of New York here, and I can think of the reasons why adults want to reach out and think about forming connections to their food. Making it related back to their food is, is just absolutely brilliant, and, and I think it's a great way to connect to the right people, and, and I think it sends a, a good message. It's like everything that we're about here in terms of why people hunt and like trying to get them connected to it. So Matt, what's your overview when people are interested in the Field to Fork program up here in New York? You want to just walk us through a little bit about like how things went last year, generally procedurally, but also then we can talk a little bit about some stories and anecdotes and stuff like that, what we learned, you know, just from the whole great journey of that. Yeah, I can definitely do that. I, I uh, you know, one of the things that Hank just said is that the key to the program is just pairing somebody that wants to learn to hunt, finding them first, but pairing them with somebody that's local that, that can do it. And I know from, you know, the past four or five years of watching the program evolve and get replicated in different communities around the country, I had the advantage, including one other one in New York State, I had the advantage of just seeing that there was no there was no exact template that had to be followed, right? We didn't have to do exactly what uh, Hank and, and uh, Charles did in Athens in 2016. We didn't have to do exactly what, um, you know, my cohort did out in Rochester the year before we started. But what I knew was there were some key things that we needed to do. And being tied to food was one of them. I, I obviously knew that that was important. So we... Uh, took that element and started there. Uh, it took actually a year to kind of get into a farmer's market. New York's a little bit different than other parts of the country, I'm guessing. Not that getting into the farmer's market as an NGO would be difficult, but being able to provide venison samples was something mm -hmm. that was a little bit tricky um, because it's not USDA so I, uh, regulated. So we had to find a market that had um, the allowance for us to be able to do that. We, we ended up finding two uh, and tried a couple different markets here locally in our communities. And that went really well, actually. You know, the response, I didn't get any, you know, I had one person kind of debate with me the ethics of hunting, but it was a very civil conversation. And, um, you know, I'm pretty skilled in terms of debating my feelings on that and also knowing the facts. So I didn't feel threatened by it or anything, but I also know that you can't, uh, push back. So that was the only time, but I talked to dozens and dozens and dozens of people that understood, 
you know, when you really narrow it down in terms of finding the, the people that were really interested, it took a couple of visits to the farmer market. We didn't have the success that Hank saw where in a couple hours we were filled up, but it, it went very well. And the second thing we did was before we even started as a, as a local group was to figure out how many mentors we had, you know, what's our capacity. So between the, the QDMA and other, and other partners, I had a number in mind and we, we ended up signing up, I think 11 people initially. Um, that's how many people we could pair folks together with. And we had a variety of folks that either had access to personal property um, all the way to people that didn't and wanted to take folks out with them on public land. Right. So the way I actually match folks up, it was it was a selection process. Once I knew who was going to be in the program, um, I did a little logistically or we did a little logistically in terms of saying, okay, these people live near each other or they might have a similar uh, mindset. We didn't, it wasn't all male. We actually had one woman take, take the program. So I wanted to pair her with a, a woman mentor. So there was some nuances to that, but it went incredibly well. We we had multiple touch points here in terms of logistics of once we had folks signed up, I had mentors and I knew the people uh, that were going to take the class. Uh, the second obstacle, at least in New York, is at least until recently with COVID, you have to take hunter education class in an in-person format. And so we had to do that. And getting into a hunter ed class can be pretty difficult in New York. So we luckily have a volunteer on the on our local branches board of directors who's who is a hunter ed instructor. We were able to hold a class just for the folks that were signed up through this initiative. That was very very key to the whole thing. Um, a couple weekend days of doing that, they were all licensed. We were able to hold some basic education about deer hunting 101. Hank mentioned that earlier. That that was done as well, um, where we were there to answer any questions, kind of give them an idea of what they needed to know. And uh, then we let them shoot. Uh, they actually had to shoot as part of hunter education, but we also provided an opportunity where uh, these new hunters could could uh, shoot in a setting that was more realistic, not just at a target, but like outdoors at deer silhouettes at different distances, not only off a bench, but offhand. That's not a normal part of our hunter education course. So we offered them, it wasn't mandatory that they came to that, but we offered the opportunity and that was really, really good as well. So along that journey from meeting people at the, at the farmer's market in a couple different um, places to teaching them about deer hunting to going through hunter education with them where we were there, the mentors were there so that, you know, they were paired together to build that trust and build those relationships to actually practicing with the firearms that they would use. Um, those relationships started to blossom. And so when the first time they went to go hunt, it wasn't a, Oh, Hey, my name is so-and-so. My name is so-and-so you're going to go sit together for a couple hours, you know, starting in the dark and then it's going to get light where they wouldn't know each other. They built a relationship on, on the front end. And I think that was also key, not only tying together the food. And I will say I took a page from Hank's book and, uh, others where we served venison or wild game at most of the events that we held, even if it was a hunter education day where they were sitting through and watching hunter ed videos or listening to instruction, we tried to tie that food in there and uh, as much as we possibly could. And, and those relationships and that tie to food was ever present. And it was really, really great. You know, by the time we were going into the hunting season, uh, we did have the community was there. It was built. We, 
we let everybody basically instead of a sanctioned weekend uh, where everybody was out either on different properties or one property on the same time, it was just a one-on-one -on -one mentorship. So the person that I took out hunting, I went when his schedule allowed or when uh, mine allowed and ours schedule lined up. Um, there was even an opportunity, well, I'm sure we'll talk about, where uh, Todd and I met up and we took both of our uh, mentees out on the, same, on the same day. It was just another opportunity. But it was really based on that one-on-one -on -one experience. And then we did offer follow-up opportunities for folks to learn how to butcher deer couple of them again not mandatory but they could come and see they could come and see how to field dress a deer and then we had a a, a post uh, season culinary social basically a chance for everybody to get together and kind of share their stories and we tied that food back in there as well and uh, you know all in told we met easily a dozen times um, not everybody at every every setting but those opportunities were there over a four or five month time period and uh, I know for a fact that even going into this year for whatever new people sign up, some of the folks that went through the program last year will likely return as maybe mentors or at least come and give their perspective. Their community was built and, and we're just going to build off of that. We've had, you know, we had success. We, we saw folks take their first deer. I think we were six, six of the, we eventually ended up with nine people that actually went through a full season. Um, but I think it was six of the nine uh, got a first year, lots of good uh, photo opportunities, but it really was about this community and you could really feel it kind of at our culinary social. Uh, when we get into the story aspect, I, I want to like kind of take a catalyst from what Hank just said. Maybe now is a good time. I actually have a story written by one of our attendees um, through our local program. His name's Nick. It's going to be in our next magazine. And uh, let me just, just, Bear with me. Let me read the first couple paragraphs of what he wrote, and it'll give you an introduction of kind of his mindset. It's like a three-page article, but I'm just going to read what he starts out saying um, to give any listener that, that listen to this that might be on the fence of trying this or maybe getting involved with a, a local field of pork program, kind of the compassion and kind of emotions involved here. Nick says, they found me at the farmer's market. Matt Ross, the smiling QDM ambassador, asked if I'd like to try some venison. The samples stuck with toothpicks looked delicious, and having just recently decided this was the year I was going to finally learn to hunt, to get back to nature and harvest my own meat from the wild, it was a fortunate question to be asked. I accepted, expecting a gamey, mutton-like saper, but was surprised by its subtle difference from beef. It was a lean cut, flavored like a steak, and grilled to medium-rare perfection. I shared a bite with my son, who all of six years old enjoyed it with a smile. Matt and I talked and I told him I was interested in hunting. As he explained the QDMA class available that autumn, I foresaw my success in the field and the culinary potential at my table. I daydreamed of success in the field, of finding out what I was made of in a rudimentary sense in the wild. After spending decades as a simple consumer of foods, how do I insert myself back into the ecosystem as a participant in nature, where my species has affixed itself as apex predator. The classes were excellent, interactive, educational, and comprehensive to the skills I'd need to hunt my first deer. I found a band of like-minded, would-be hunters, all eager to get back to participating in the acquisition of their food, of being true conservators of nature, of honoring the earth with their mindful presence and attendance to the wild. And then he goes on, but it kind of gave you a, a you know a, a inner look at 
the type of people that we were speaking to at, at the farmer's market. Um, Nick is one of, you know, 11 that signed up and they were all had different reasons for signing up. Um, but there was that similarity of trying to find out where to get their food from, to reconnect all the things that, you know, the three of us on here talking feel, I mean, we're all hunters, you know, we've come to hunting in different ways, you know, Hank, Hank and myself, even just the two of us, both being QDMA employees, were introduced in different ways, but we all connect with that. And that's really what this program is about is what percentage is it, Hank, of folks that, that uh, approve of hunting versus how many actually don't hunt? I know you use those statistics all the time. 82% approve of hunting deer and turkey for food and about 4.5% of Americans currently hunt. So, I mean, what's that? That's just a giant bucket of potential to grow the hunter base out there. And it's just how do you connect with them? Well, there's a bunch of people like Nick that want want that experience. It's just a matter of meeting them where they're at instead of just, you know, putting up a flyer or a social media post and saying, hey, you know, learn to hunt. We need hunters. You got to go to them. And that's that's what Hank and Charles came up with is you go to them, you find these people. And once the kind of barriers are broken down and, they, and you instill that confidence where it's not frightening because it, it is a frightening thing to ask really to be mm -hmm. humbled to do something new is always humble you know is very scary I, i'm very comfortable in my zone but for me to take up pick, pick an activity go sing opera i don't know it would be very uncomfortable with me but that's what we're doing with this program is you meet them where they're at and uh all i can do is smile you know reading that and and hearing those perspectives and uh, I know we each had those one-on-ones -on -one, one with our own mentees over the years. I mean, Hank, I don't know how many people you've, you've actually mentored at this point through Field of Fork, but, you know, you have those one-on-one -on -one conversations where you realize, you know, this could be scary for them. And I'm glad I'm the person that kind of, you know, broke those barriers down and made it possible. And we're not that different, you know. We're, we're both interested in it for the right reason. So that's – my inspiration of reading that to, to you, Todd, and to the listeners is just kind of in, tell people, you know, it, it doesn't need to be scary. I think it's, it's a really good way to introduce hunting to people that want to learn. Um, and that's something that's been discovered through this. Totally agree. And, uh, you know, I, I'm glad you did share that because I think that it reflects why people want to get involved with this and who might want to get involved. And I'm going to say, like, going back to the community part of this, so Nick wasn't my mentee. I didn't hunt with Nick. But out of this community, I am connected with him on social media now. And so just, like, making friendships with people and just staying connected in a broader sense is having that community. You know, I thought I thought you all did a great job. There's kind of an art to pairing up the mentor and mentee. Um, like, you talked about geography and, like, getting people close together and everything. But like I had so much fun with the hunter that I hunted with this year, our backgrounds, you know, in conservation and beyond the point of being in the woods and walking through the process of hunting with him and spending several days out in the field. And then at the events that we had that were organized, um, just getting to know somebody, you know, listening and supporting. We had a good time in the woods. It was really fun. We hunted public land, you know, we hunted um, some conservation easement land that was protected through a land trust. And then, you know, we hunted down it with you and your hunter. The, I think it was the last weekend of the season, right? It was like late muzzleloader yeah. season or something. And walking through that whole season with him 
and then getting down to that last day. And so he did not shoot a deer this year, but we had an opportunity there that last day where, you know, it gets dark in December by quarter to five, right? But it was like last light and uh, three or four does came out into the field. They were a little bit out of range. It was such a great experience for him and I just to watch those deer. And like all the way home, we rode together in my truck and like, he's like, you know what, um, it, I, that made the whole season. He's like, I know I didn't pull the trigger. I didn't feel comfortable. It was a little too far, but I felt so good about having it come together just to see them and to see how it can come together. You know, that meant the world to me. It's just like, it was so much fun. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And, and like, I mean, we walked, we walked a lot. We climbed mountains. We were out in the bushes. We experienced all sorts of different kinds of weather. Uh, but he was a he was a really fun guy to be in the woods with. You know, how was your experience, Matt? With you know, with the hunter that you were partnered up with, did you have any cool stories in all the times that you were out in the woods? Yeah, I have a, I have a funny story. It was a very good experience uh, for me as well. I was just thinking and grinning here as we're on this like Zoom screen that you know, out of all the success, neither Todd or uh, I got our <laughs> our mentees a deer, so my guy did not get a deer either. Um, I don't know what that says about our hunting prowess, right? But um, it is what it is, right? It's hunting, that's, and that's uh, right. It is what it is. Uh, I, I really thought if I was going to predict at the beginning of the year, I, I thought for sure I was going to get you know the the person I was lined up with a deer, but it didn't happen. So. And and another thing that you had mentioned about the kind of the pairing up, you know, I, I think the the opportunity to basically meet the people and kind of learn their personality a little bit was very good for me, even though I knew I had, um, you know, our group had X number of mentors and I knew we had signed up X number of mentees to match them up. I wasn't really sure who was going to go with who until I kind of learned the personalities there and kind of discussed that with our board of directors, say, okay, what, what about these pairing? So that, that was good. I'm glad it, it went well. I thought you, you and your person would, would hit it off and it seemed like you guys did. You know, for me, we had a great time. We didn't hunt as often as I would have liked. I was actually more available than the guy that I uh, mentored, uh, than he was available. He worked Saturdays, so he he just worked a shift schedule where it made it a little bit uh, more difficult. So we only went out a handful of times. I think we may have gone out three or four outings. The The very first outing that we were able to do was on the the Sunday, because he wasn't available on Saturday, of opening weekend. And in, in New York, just such a large percentage of the deer harvest happens opening week, but certainly opening weekend. There's just, you know, I, I'm a big bow hunter. I offered for him to come with me bow hunting. Um, it, that didn't happen. But so opening weekend came and he wasn't available Saturday. That's when guns are ablazing, right? So the deer's kind of getting accustomed to things. And uh, I was also trying to juggle mentoring a friend who, not through a field of fork program, but I met a, co a buddy in college that I've known for years and years. We're both in the forestry field. He's actually a forester as well, um, that I got him his first deer a couple seasons ago, and he's returned. He's not um, seasoned by any means, but this was his first year sitting by himself. So I was trying to, to juggle both uh, my friend Andy and uh, my mentee through this program on one weekend and put them in different places. And that, that proved a little problematic. The funny story is Andy shot a deer um, right after I dropped him off at a spot to sit. And the guy that I was taking out, we were walking away from 
dropping him off. He shot and it, it basically created a situation where we had to go back and help him. So he got a great lesson in field dressing. Um, the guy that I was, I was uh, mentoring was able to participate in that field dressing. It was his first time hunting. It was an afternoon hunt. Instead of hunting first thing in the morning, he was available in the afternoon. So he was hunting a mere 30, 40 minutes and he had his hands inside a deer doing something that he didn't think he was going to be doing. So that was really neat for him, but it, it, it provided a little bit of a, you know, a challenge in terms of getting him a deer that night. We, we did it quickly. We still went out and sat and sat, but we didn't see anything, but it was a great experience for me. He and I come from different worlds and it was really, it was good conversations of just talking about like his upbringing and his interests. Um, we shared, uh, um, he has a strong interest in firearms, uh, even more so than I, I have. And he was teaching me stuff that I didn't know in terms of different calibers and shooting proficiency. Um, but he had never hunted before, so I was able to share on the, on the vice versa how to read deer sign. Um, you know, what it means when a deer does this, what, the, what to expect. So it was, it was really beneficial for both of us. We planned on doing a little turkey hunting this year. I'm, I'm a, not only a novice, I'm basically a virgin turkey hunter. I, I don't turkey hunt. And we were going to try to experience that together for the first time this spring. And uh, coronavirus hit and made a, he, he was a little bit uh, squirrely and so was me. So was I with my kids about, you know, meeting up and hunting right when things were starting to hit. So I hope that I can take him out again hunting this fall in addition to, you know, in addition to actually mentoring somebody new, um, whether that means it's frequent or, you know, we sit once or once together, I think that'd be fine. I'm going to try to provide him that opportunity as much as I can humanly possible, just because he didn't get a deer. I feel kind of responsible. I want to, I want to see him get a deer, um, whether that's directly with me or indirectly with, with my help. So. Yeah. Same here. You know, as far as like mutually beneficial, I think he said and like mutually, um, I, I like, I really appreciate it. I learned as much from my hunter as I hope that like we learned together walking through the woods and uh, you know, same kind of situation where we probably hunted three or four times. The weather got squirrely there up here in the Adirondacks. We were hunting in the Adirondacks. So we were in some big woods and just between like Thanksgiving and snow and some cold and some sickness and everything, we missed a few weekends where things could have happened. I actually shot a deer the first weekend of November um, on a weekend um, that he, he could have been available to hunt with me, but it just didn't work out. And I probably was in an area where I wouldn't have been if he was with me, but ended up one of the things that was important to me was to share some meat with him. I gave him a whole bunch of venison um, from that deer just to kind of reinforce the fact that, Hey, we're in this together, you know, and just to maybe support his journey and to keep him encouraged and everything. And like we, same kind of thing, like, you know, we kept in touch after the season and I hope that he sees me as a resource moving along if he continues to choose to hunt, you know? So we talked a little bit about ice fishing. We talked a little bit about turkey hunting, uh, but I felt like it was definitely a relationship builder, you know, and it's something that I enjoyed as much as I think is that he did. Hey, I want to talk a little bit, there's a whole lot of content out there for, for new hunters about, you know, how to get started and what are the barriers. If you guys don't mind, I'd like to talk about, take a few minutes here, talk about tips for mentors. So for people that we might be targeting for mentors, um, maybe they're in an organization like QDMA and a local branch, or they're in BHA or the Turkey Federation or whatnot. You know, sometimes it's just like, I don't know, like I talk to people and they're like, I don't know that 
I'm cut for it, or I don't know how to get started, or I don't know if I have time. There's some reservations just like there are for new hunters. Would you guys mind talking about that a little bit? I have some ideas, and I think that if I had to give three pieces of just quick advice that we can elaborate on to kind of start the conversation, I think one thing I learned was to to listen and support that new hunter and to really understand, to just kind of get into where they're coming from and what they want out of that. You know, what's their goal and what's their expectations? What's their comfort level? You know, what are they, like, for instance, like my hunter was like, hey, it's totally cool. I don't want to sit in a tree stand. You know, I just want to get out in the woods and I want to kind of see how deer use the woods. And so through listening to what some of his objectives were, it helped me a lot with trying to manage the process to hopefully have it rewarding for him. Um, the other thing I think would be to to just put yourself in their shoes because like you had mentioned opera. And I think like as adults that are curious and smart, we all have a lot of different interests and it just so happens that all three of us hunt. And so we're willing to share that knowledge with people, but other people have a whole lot of interest too and where they're coming from. And so it's just like taking that for what it is and just like understanding it and just treating it like anything that we want to get started with, you know, it's just providing that support. And, um, I think the other thing is maybe just getting out there and remembering why you're doing it, you know, what the bigger picture is. So what do you guys think, uh, Hank, what do you think in terms of um, when you're talking to mentors and then we'll get to you, Matt, what advice would you have and tips for getting people interested um, who are considering it? Well, now we, we've learned a lot over the years and we've, we've always hosted uh, you know, a mentor meeting before, before any of the organized hunts or, um, and, and we, we, we tell people to focus on the shared, you know, the shared ground or the common interests. We, you know, there's obviously some subjects that we, we try to get the mentors to steer clear of and the deer stand or whatnot. But I think, you know, through y'all's testimonies and I've really enjoyed listening to that because y'all are better advocates, uh, for Phil DeFork than I'll ever be. Um, you know, the, the true testament is to, to hear it from you guys. And, you know, the stories are so much the same, the, the, you know, the, the experiences you had. I mean, I, I'm just seeing all the years of, of filled to fork hunters and mentors and that kind of stuff. But the first thing is, is, you know, exactly what y'all are hitting on, you know, there's such a diversity of potential hunters out there. And we have to recognize that we need to diversify as hunters. We're still 97% Caucasian and 90% male. And, and at being four and a half percent of the population, I mean, we're at risk. I mean, that, that, that's not a good position to be in. We're a vast, vast minority of the population. And, and honestly, we're, we're at risk of becoming irrelevant. I mean, we still provide these huge resources or, or, you know, hunters do great things in this country. But if people don't understand how and why and what, then we're obsolete almost. And so, you know, we, we diligently are trying to get a, a diverse spectrum of hunters or new hunters. And, and as Matt mentioned, he's, you know, exactly right. You have to get in front of them. And that's what we all did wrong for far too long. We advertise a hunt on a QDMA website or whatnot, you know, um, or a state agency website. And if that's not where new hunters are, they don't know that the state agency exists. And, but, you know, in terms of, of being a mentor, you have to just uh, obviously it's, that's just as daunting as the barrier to, to entry for a new hunter. Um, people oftentimes don't have the confidence to get out of there. So we try to explain to them that, you know, 
they have the skills it takes. If they're a successful hunter, they can do this. Of course, to any potential mentors out there, uh, I just would like to say that this will be one of the most rewarding things you do this year. If you, if you take it on to do this, and you've, you've heard the two testimonies and, and myself. I mean, these are the most rewarding hunts that I go on. I, I put together four events last year. I think I attended seven. I often take a back seat on the actual organized hunts, but I often, you know, open myself up for follow-up opportunities and mentor a lot of different hunters, and they're all different. Um, we have to, you, you need to fill them out and, and, and exactly like you said, get into their head, understand their desires of why they want to hunt. Of course, being QDMA, you know, we, we're often, you know, categorized as, you know, going after mature deer or whatnot. And, you know, for these first time hunters, you need to ask them like, what, what's your intention here? Do you just want to eat? I mean, you have to understand the motivations of your mentee. You have to understand that you can do this. Um, we all have the capacity to mentor. As Matt referenced earlier, we have this year's mentees that come back and mentor for us. Our best advocates and mentors have, have been the past mentees. Um, if you go to uh, qdma.com slash FTF or, or you Google Field the Fork and you get to our homepage, there's, there's two videos I'd urge you to watch on there. One is a um, video that we shot uh, in 2018, just kind of a summary of our Field to Fork program in Athens that we, we were nice enough to get a, a gift from the National Shooting Sports Foundation to document it. Um, in that, you'll meet a gentleman named Edwin. He's a Haitian-born immigrant to the United States. He's a PhD doctoral candidate at the University of Georgia. We met him at the farmer's market. I'll never forget his, um, his girlfriend, I believe, at the time walked up to the table and she even said, this is for Edwin. And, you know, five minutes later, she drags Edwin over and he, he was so excited, so excited and never heard back from him, you know, and, and we're just like, what happened to that guy? You know, and, and it is, there is, you know, you've got to make it easy for the candidates and all that, but he, he hit us up like the day before the organized training. And he's like, is there still room? And we were like, come on, Edwin, we, we got you. But we took him hunting um, we paired him with a local landowner, one of the biggest supporters of Field to Fork. Um, they kind of hit it off. Um, but Edwin ended up uh, harvesting five deer his first year. We're, we have a little more liberal bag limits and seasons in the South, possibly, and a little more opportunity. But after he put a couple of deer in his freezer, he started putting the deer in the freezer at the lab at the University of Georgia. And he sent around an email on the listserv that said, hey, there's venison in the freezer, have at it. Um, and next thing you know, he mentored five new hunters that first year that we mentored him. And so the next year, um, he, he helped with the organized event. This year, he's mentored. After his second year of hunting, he sent Charles and I a note. He said, hey, I killed five deer this year. Is that good? And I was like, Edwin, I've never killed five deer in a season in my life. And I I'm not sure I really plan to, but um, you know, four is, is my number. If I put four deer in the freezer, I'm doing good. But, you know, these, and, and Edwin, um, you know, he, he's Haitian. He, he talks in there about, like, when he was growing up, he knew what chicken he was eating for dinner. He knew what, you know, tree his fruit or whatever came off of. And this year, um, we had a, um, a veterinarian professor at the University of Georgia. Um, we had, last year, we had a, a Brazilian immigrant. Many of them came from parts of the world where they couldn't hunt. 
but they have these awesome desires to it. And, you know, George, he's, he's the veterinary professor. We always sit them down first class and say, and, and we bring the mentors into all of it. So we, they, just like you're talking about, they, they start to learn about them. They, they form that community. But we asked George, you know, why do you want to hunt? You know, he's pulled up in his Tesla uh, to fill the pork. And he said, I've got 40 acres and a big green egg. And um, I want to learn to hunt deer. And that's the thing. It's like you have to understand these mentees or, or potential new hunters, you walk by them every day. And that was like the number one thing that jumped out us. You know, one year – it was Rod, and he was 55, 60. He was a, a manager at a local roofing company. He came in, and he said, um, I work in an office over here with eight offices. Seven of them have deer heads hanging on the wall, and no one ever invited me. As Matt said, this guy that he took knew more about guns than he did. You know, we, we've, I've kind of made friends with one of our Field to Fork hunters over the year that you'll see in the video if you watch that. He, um, he's a welder. And I often think about like, you know, we look at hunting like, oh man, like, you know, I sit here and I'm not, I'm not one that thinks it's that hard. I think it's perceived as daunting. And if we can, we can help push these people with interest just to try it. We can help spark their interest, give them, you know, a helping hand, a little confidence. As you all know, mentorship changes to just being somebody to call possibly at some point or, or to ask questions to. We create hidden Facebook groups for our guys and and uh, you know the mentors get so engaged they they start sending out messages like hey I got a free weekend if anybody wants to come but you know it, it just they change over the year each person's different you know one guy you know lots of people actually have had property or connections to property so we have to understand that you know these new hunters can be just like us we probably walk by them every day if, if only if I always talk at QDMA about the 95%, the 95% of the people in this country that don't hunt, they're everywhere. And, and we just take it for granted. We as hunters have become insular and we just need to, to, you know, talk about what we do and, and eventually hopefully take new hunters. And, and that's the whole premise behind Field to Fork. I mean, it's, it's no different than, you know, Stephen Ranella put it as venison diplomacy, but we're just, we need hunters, potential mentors out there to open up their minds and, and, and understand that we need more hunters and we need to diversify and we need to remain relevant or, or be increasingly relevant in society. We, all the trends are with us, as we've mentioned before. I mean, there's so many people out there and, and that's exactly what, I mean, my point of view is, is I think what are there, you know, if 5% of Americans are doing and 82% approved, say if there's just like 10, 10% more or 20% more, but I can tell you that they're everywhere they're interested. They don't know how to get started and they need people like us to just say, Hey, if you would like to try this, I will help you. The best way to start those conversations are over a venison burger or at the farmer's market or, or just sharing your passion for what you do. And that's all we're really asking. This is the long winded answer to your question, but we're just asking people to share what they have to share their knowledge, to share their deer stands, to share their passion for, for what they do. And, and, and what it turns into, as you've both testified, is it's a lot of fun. And it's something that, that um, most of the people who get involved continue to do and look forward to. And um, really, at the end of the day, um, you know, a few deer, years down the line for you guys, I hope, you know, in Athens, I've got 50 to 100 new friends and new hunters and, and, and you know, longtime hunters. And that's all we have. We have a sportsman group 
of, of people who like to eat, food, eat venison and, and go hunting. And, and we, we have camaraderie and, and we share meals and share drinks and we run into each other around town or, or wherever. But, but, you know, I, I interfaced with a few Athens filled before Connors today and I'm not sitting in Athens right now, but um, it's just a really great thing. And we just need more hunters to realize that part of that, what makes you, you know, if we had this way that we ranked hunters and we've thought, oh man, you kill big bucks or, you know, so-and-so is a great hunter. We have to, we have to put, you know, one of those check boxes need to be, did you mentor a new hunter this year? And, and that's how we need to look at whether we're a worthy hunter or, you know, a sportsman or woman is that, you know, these are the things that are important. You know, did you, I hope that people take the time to, to mentor their, their kids. Um, you know, I hope that people talk to their family members over a, a Thanksgiving or Christmas table and say, Hey, this is venison. If you'd like to try to do this, but, but really we need people to get outside of their peer groups, outside of their family, outside of their normal circles. We've got to reach across the aisle and, and we've got to serve this need uh, to, to mentor these hunters that didn't grow up in the traditional pathway. And that's what we've lost as a society. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to have enough interaction with hunters and to find an avenue. But for all these people who didn't grow up on the family farm here, growing up in cities with the, the, the way our country's changed, uh, you know, over the last, you know, 50, 100 years, is more and more people aren't growing up with the opportunity you know, there's interest and we have to create that opportunity. And we know that food focused adults are our most efficient audience. And we're just trying to follow the data and, and we hope you can do so. Um, you know, we're, we're going to try to build more mentor resources. It's a bit, we've got, we've got some things we want to do with Field to Fork. We have standardized curriculum. I went down to Mossy Oak and filmed 15 videos on how to deer hunt last year. So Matt used those videos and we've used some of those videos for our trainings. We have, you know, a standardized curriculum of PowerPoints that we've offered up to replications to try to take away a lot of those uh, barriers and even daunting things for mentors. We, we have insurance that we provide to try to take away some of the liability best practices, you know, um, sample agendas, that kind of stuff. But, um, but we're continuing to build resources and hope to have some really awesome ones. But again, if you just go to qdma.com slash FTF, you'll see our kind of, you know, summary video from 2018, uh, reconnecting roots, a PBS show just released an episode called hunting field to fork. It's us with Steven Ranilla and Ryan Callahan of, of meat eater. Um, you'll, that's on there, but you'll see all the summaries that we've ever kind of written about field to fork. And then all the, all the news that, um, things from the other podcasts we've done, uh, to articles, uh, that we've, we've been in. And, uh, you know, of course, if anybody ever has any questions or, or comments, they can reach out to me, my contacts all over there. And that's really, it's really what we try to do It's just, you know, hopefully people listen to this. They, they read about what we do so far so good, but, we hope others will be inspired and realize that this is something that they need to do, that they should do. And, and, you know, we, we hope that you can see through all that. It's a ton of fun, you know, and that's what I try to try to tell people is, you know, just, just try it. Like take somebody out there, start small. Um, but I will say the community approach, you know, building a group and that, that cohesion and that camaraderie, 
nothing will beat that. But again, if we want to mentor the numbers we need as a, as a country, we're going to have to do it on the backs of individual mentors. I mean, we're never going to be able to organize enough programs. You know, we, we lost 2.1 million hunters between 2011 and 2016, you know, down to about 11 and a half million hunters, licensed hunters. So, so it, it, it's something that we have to do. Uh, we've talked about it for decades and decades and, mm -hmm. and, and we're starting to see, you know, this wall, this fall off of hunters that we, we've always known that was going to happen. And, and, and we're experiencing it. Um, the industry's hurting because they're yeah. experiencing that. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, we've, we've got to just grow, uh, grow the number of hunters and what we hold dear and, and they're out there. It just takes people like us. Uh, Hank, you hunters. just said, you said something that, uh, I think is a, is kind of key to this conversation is, you know, the, the, the boxes we check in terms of like validating ourselves or our, our um, give back to the resource or whatever, you know, our, what have you done? One thing that we've talked about, Todd, is it, we need to change the conversation or the narrative on what's a hunter's responsibility. Yes, you're, you're responsible for safety. That's why you go through hunter education. You know, if you become a hunter, you're responsible to be legal. You know, you have to follow the, the regulations that your state or provincial wildlife agency set forth because those are based on science and they're based on making sure that it's sustainable. The harvest is sustainable. So you have to be safe. You have to be legal. But, you know, what else do you kind of, kind of put on yourselves? What's in your wallet in terms of, you know, the, the cash you're ready to outlay in terms of our responsibilities? We think one of the biggest things that the narrative has to change, and I think it's starting, and it has. I mean, the, heart, the fact that there is an R3 movement and, and there's a national R3 plan and there's now all these R3 coordinators. Correct me if I'm wrong, Hank, but like, Charles down in Georgia was one of, if not the first R3 coordinator ever. And now there's like 40 of them. Um, almost every state or if not every state has an R3 person, right? So nationally, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that conversation's happening, but what's not being talked about is that responsibility. And I think it's starting to happen within, within like, you know, social media to a degree, um, within NGOs and the followers of NGOs, but just hunters and fishermen and women, and you know, we're starting to talk about it being part of what we do. You know, when I go hunt, I'm looking forward to the experience. I'm looking forward to the meat. I'm looking forward to the camaraderie. I'm looking forward to taking my kids out and bonding with them in a, in a different place. I'm looking forward to, far forward to all of those elements. But I think as, as the, we kind of go forth here and with R3, Every single person listening to this, I hope it's millions for your sake and ours, Todd, uh, you know, for every, say, every person listening to this, it is your responsibility to mentor somebody. Now, we and, you know, Hank, when we have developed this program that is very effective and it's community based and, and we want to replicate it and we want to see more of it and we're going to see more of it and we're going to, to replicate it and you're going to see more and more. It's, it's a growing thing for, for us. Um, but, you know, I mentioned my friend Andy earlier, that, that inspiration for me to take my buddy out, he had kind of alluded to it over time, but what really sparked that for me to actually do it was the conversations we were having internally at QDMA and this conversation I'm having right now with you and your audience is it's our responsibility. I just, 
one of our one of our colleagues uh, basically offered a challenge to the staff of QDMA and saying, "Listen, field of forks important. We want you to all get involved, but I challenge you all to at least take somebody new hunting this year. You know, it's not going to be part of your annual review, but mm-hmm. we want you to t- do it. If you know somebody in your family or friends or community that has said something to you about going hunting, do it. And that's all it took for me. And it, I, automatically, I was like, man, my buddy Andy's been." T- sort of alluding to it over the years. We don't even live in the same state anymore, but we made plans. I said, you're going to come to New York and we're going hunting. And uh, we did. And he got a, he got a deer and, and uh, um, it's, it's actually really, you know, grown our relationship. We're very close. We're close through school. We were close through forestry. You know, he has kids, my kids age, all of these reasons, but now we can bond over something new. So that was a personal challenge. And, and I think anytime I now I, I take that, that challenge seriously. I took it seriously. And now anytime I have a platform, I do the same thing. And I've done it on a number of other podcast interviews. And I I would challenge every single one of the listeners that are staying on this long to to tell you, it's your responsibility. Take somebody new hunting. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't have to wait for a community organized event. You can take somebody hunting. um, So don't shirk that responsibility. So that's part of it. To kind of go back to your initial question, about, you know, what are good mentor guides, um, and Hank hit on all the points. I don't really need to kind of um, go through all those again, but I think for me personally, the way I look at it is if I was going to go to, let's say, a dinner party with my wife, and it's her friends, and it's not mine, how would I, how would I have conversations? You know, how, how would I interact with that group? Um, I do the things that you said, Todd. You know, I listen. I ask questions. I, I, I don't make it about me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I show, I show an interest in what they do for a career. I, you know, that's, as, it's as easy as that, unless you're socially awkward as a person. I mean, that's what you're going to do if you're at a bar or at a restaurant, or if you're with a family member or your spouse and you're going to put it in a situation where you don't know anybody, what do you do to talk to people? It's the same thing. We're all just people, you know, so I, I, I've made sure to do that in everything I do with QDMA because I'm in the education side, but you know, make it about the other person. Just, just ask them. And you said, you said all that. You said, understand their goals. How do you know that? You have to ask them those questions. You have mm-hmm. to listen, right? You got to put yourself in their shoes. Those are all things that I do is just say, it's not about me. I, I know that I, I can provide a resource because I know some stuff that they don't know. And I will give in my advice, my experience. I'll tell them, hey, this is what I've learned. This is what, I, you know, the things that have made me a more efficient hunter, more successful. But I'm also not dumb and realize that I don't know any everything and that they know stuff that I don't know. So I ask questions about that and say, all right, well, I'm going to learn from you. You know, okay. I, I, you know, I'm not an opera singer, you know, or I don't know a lot about guns. You know, I know enough to, to go get a deer with a gun, but I'm not a, you know, a gun guy. Uh, I like deer management and deer biology. Those are the things I really get, you know, get a kick out of. So anyway, I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. You don't have to overthink it ask them questions and make it about the other person. That's, that's how I, that's how I always visualize. So if I'm going to go hunting with somebody new again this fall and we're sitting in a blind together, it doesn't need to be an awkward, like three hours. It just, just have a conversation. It's easy. I think, you know, for us, the, there was also this aha moment or spark and it's kind of what Matt's getting at is, you know, this diverse group of people could get together and, and especially these, you know, what we'll call traditional Southern deer hunters or whatever, you know, we're in a, a college town, but 
they understood very quickly that they were valued by this diverse group of people who wanted some of their knowledge. And, and, and at the same time, it was inspiring to the mentor, you know, to see that passion and that desire in that new hunter, just like it takes them back to their, their early days of hunting. It's a, definitely a mutual beneficial relationship. It is like you, you said it like they're valued, they're welcome here, you know, and that's, that's a big part of it is just being a welcoming gateway for people to get started. I'm going to say, I'm going to say like, I am so glad that you guys touched on the why and elaborated on that. Like when I asked the question about tips for how to mentor, it's better that we backed up and you guys just talked on some great points on the why it's important, how it relates back to conservation, how it relates to quality of life for the people um, that are doing this and the enjoyment and the connection to their food. So I'm going to say, I'm glad you said that. A um, couple other things. I think it's really cool point that some of the best mentors out there are people that were in the program. And I think that sometimes people think that, Hey, you know, I, I've only been hunting five years. Well, that could be awesome because that might be that you can relate to that person pretty well because you just went through that process of learning how to hunt or even um, or even one year or, two or years. one year whatever that, that's a that's a fresh perspective of saying mm -hmm. listen last year i wasn't a hunter and i maybe i didn't even get a deer mm -hmm. but here are the things that i learned y yeah absolutely so one year so like my friend krista um i know her through backcountry hunters and anglers and she's been hunting a few years and she's a DEC hunting ed instructor now oh. and we need that so much we need people like her out there just as a resource um, for people to get started. The other thing I'm going to say is that I'm glad that you guys said that, you know, we're talking about keeping the why. And I'm going to say that for giving back and for making it a priority as hunters for us to make it a priority that we take somebody hunting. When you look at conservationists, like when you look at the people that have made the biggest splash in conservation, and we know all the, the big names, right? The Theodore Roosevelt's, George Grinnell's on the front end. We know Stephen Rinella. I don't know how many deer, elk, moose, bear they've shot over the years. It doesn't matter. So in the end, it's like, yes, you know, we hunt for our own reasons and we want to achieve our goals. But in the end, it's like what you give back that keeps this whole thing going. I know a friend in town and he used to give rotary speeches, and he had an old Coca-Cola can uh, before they were five-cent deposits. And you remember the old Coke cans that had, like, the teardrop tabs that you pulled off instead of, like, the new ones? And he told me one day, he says, you know what I tell people? He's like, I take that can with me, and, you know, I ask them, you know, okay, so I show them that this is an old can, and, and I say, okay, do you remember what the old can said? Because it said, no deposit. And then you remember what it says after no deposit? It said no return. No deposit, yeah. no return. And, and that's how he approached just mentorship and business. And I think, you know, without being preachy about that to our audience, I think that that's a good way of thinking about it in terms of giving back. If we want yeah. the returns, we need to make the deposits. Great conversation. So I'll ask one more question. What do you think in terms of 2020? Like, what are you guys looking forward to? What can people expect? How can people find you? And then we'll wrap up. Uh, let me go first, Hank. I'll say what's going on locally in terms of plans. And then if you want to touch on kind of a national um, outlook, obviously there's a lot up in the air, <laughs> you know, because mm -hmm. of uh, but, uh, COVID. Um, but we're planning as usual um, here locally. And then also throughout the state, there, we're, we're looking to expand the program. Um, we have, at least on our program, 
it locally in New York. Um, we have dates picked out. I actually have a list of people that were recommended to take the Field of Fork program last year for this year. And uh, our our board, um, our local branch, QDMA branch, has has just started kind of coming out of the coronavirus turkey season and started meeting and talking a little bit. Um, we have dates reserved. We have saved the dates of all the all the event logistics, but we just started talking about reaching out to our mentors, um, getting a, a list of people, a solid list of who's going to mentor, and then reach out to our waiting list folks to see who we can pull off of that and then decide whether or not we need to recruit more at a farmer's market or not. Um, and if, if, if not, you know, what do we do in terms of, of that? So um, we're, we're making plans as usual. I mean, right now, um, we have events set in September, October to hunt in our, our firearm season, which is what we, we did last year here in November. So um, full steam ahead in terms of locally. I know there is hope. I'm not sure if it's going to happen in New York um, for an expansion where we would have more than just the two events that happened last year in Rochester and Upper Hudson um, area. Um, but that remains to be seen right now, but I'm pretty hopeful that that's going to happen. So we might have a third, if not a third and fourth program um, in the state of New York. Uh, that would, that will be probably announced soon if it happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't see why we wouldn't take people hunting because things as we were talking about before we were started recording uh, related to coronavirus seem to be lightening a little bit and people are taking precautions, which has reduced, you know, prevalence of that disease. So people starting to meet and things are loosing a little bit. So we do, we do think that there will be more happening in New York here uh, coming up. So I guess if you live in New York state um, and are interested in uh, maybe participating, you can reach out to me. My name and email is on the um, website, but we can probably do that at the very end. So this is Matt, Matt Ross talking and I, I can line you up with the right, right folks. So, and we'll put show notes in, you know, like links and stuff into the show sure. notes. And, and, you know, I think that like your point toward uh, the interest in, in getting out in the woods this fall, you know, with everything, with all the ramifications of coronavirus and meat prices, you know, and availability, mm-hmm. if there's a time when people are, really thinking about how can I make stronger connections to my food? It's right now, you know? So Hank was talking about Michael Pollan and the omnivores dilemma. And it's funny because I'm just finishing that book up. I've been reading a couple of books. I'd never read that before. And uh, I'm about uh, probably 75% of the way through, but it's a really cool book for people that haven't read it. And the reason I read it was because there was a New York times article recently about the future of meat. You know, so there's a lot of relevancy mm. to this conversation in terms of getting people out to stay connected. So that's that's a fact. And Hank, uh, do you have any other thought? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, you know, I echo a lot of that sentiment. I'm, I'm really excited to think that we're getting more back to a, you know, I guess the normal. I don't think we'll ever get there, but we're planning to move forward with our organized field to fork events, obviously going to work on some guidelines and, and suggestions um, may tweak how they operate, you know, in a community level. But um, we took all of our kind of hunting programs to a state level a, you know, a few years ago because we want to start that new hunter to interface with, with their state agency and all that kind of good stuff. So we're moving ahead as um as best we can with Field to Forks. We ran 26 events in 17 states last year. 
I'm hoping will be closer to 40 events this year. It's always nice to see states like New York and Michigan and Georgia and places where we have a handful of programs. So, you know, we're working on some major projects, have some irons in the fire. You can expect more educational resources, more community, more mentor resources, um, hopefully some some big, big, exciting projects that I can't really discuss at this point. But, um, you know, we, we've kind of gotten this platform. You're right that coronavirus has probably made hunting a little more relevant. It's it sparked a little more interest in the back of the minds of, of a lot of potential new hunters out there. I don't know if Americans will ever recover from really understanding what the industrial food system looks like. And that's actually one of the things I'm trying to wrap my head around right now. You know, and and, and I, I was approached by a Bloomberg reporter this week, but um, all of our processors are now processing livestock. And we might not be able to process as many deer this year because they will stay processing livestock. And, and that's going to hurt us. And A, you know, that's a great resource for these new hunters who don't feel comfortable. It's a great reason to promote home gaming or, or, or processing your own venison. But at the same time, we won't be able to donate as many deer as we would hope to this fall. So, you know, I don't know where our food system's going, but we definitely are more relevant. We have an opportunity. People are thinking about hunting. They're thinking about where their food comes from. So we need to, of course, take advantage of that. And I hope that anybody with interest, um, you know, starts to reach out and starts to, you know, to, you know, put it on the line, you know, go out there. And if you know a hunter, approach them and ask them for help. You know, I always tell people, you know, go to a, a archery shop or, or wherever you think hunters might be. And, and at the same time, I hope, I hope hunters are, are, are diligently reaching out to new audiences and trying to recruit because we are relevant. There is a need. Um, we will continue as, as QDMA to, to, you know, expand and to get ready for this fall. But I hope that all your listeners and all hunters out there are doing the same thing. And, and, and the work starts now, you know, share some venison meals, Become, be a good advocate for hunting, start building that Rolodex of people that might be interested in, in learning to hunt and, and you know, reach out to them, offer your assistance. Um, you won't regret it. I'll you add know. for anybody that's listening that is interested in maybe learning to hunt, you know, regardless of whether or not you have a local QDMA branch near you or somebody that could take you that's not affiliated with a QDMA where you ask, we do have resources that are digitally accessible and we're going to be expanding on that but I, I i think we'd be remiss not to mention three things hank mentioned earlier a video series that we recorded a uh, combination with mossy oak that is a free youtube series that anybody can watch everything that we use as part of our curriculum at, at uh the field of fork program in new york and others do as well um, but is that 16 parts? I'm trying to remember how many parts that has in it. But it's it's a it's a free YouTube series. If you go to QDMA's website, find our YouTube link, and you'll see see it there. It's a, it's a very laid out, logical where you watch them uh, in order. The other two resources that we have developed one is a ebook. Anybody that likes ebooks on basically how to how to deer hunt, um, and then the other is if you have not gone through hunter education through a partnership with the company that does hunter education. There's a website called today's hunter um, 
where once you've gone through Hunter Ed online, you have the ability to basically do an add-on of like an instruction on how to hunt something. The deer hunting part of that is a QDMA course that we did with Calchemy. So you can just go to Today's Hunter, and I think that's the website, look for the deer class, and it's all QDMA content. It's not housed on our website, but it, it is. You'll see our logo there. And, uh, and maybe I'm missing something, Hank, but I don't think we should, you know, miss the opportunity to at least tell folks about those three things. One is free. It's a YouTube series. The ebook is free. Free. Yeah. And so there's two things that are free. And then the, uh, the class through Today's Hunter is a very low cost class that you could take, and it's all guided online. It's all really, really great and inexpensive or free. Yeah, thanks for providing those resources. So um, I'm really glad to partner up with QDMA, both on a personal level and through the conservation work that we've been trying to do through backcountry hunters and anglers in New York. And, you know, for the folks that are listening here, I think that this is a really good conversation. Um, I'm thankful that we've been able to talk through this. And there's like, I'm amazed and really grateful for all the good work that you're doing there at QDMA beyond just the habitat work and wildlife management on the ground, connecting people to their food, getting people outdoors, providing a mentoring platform like this with partners, building community. Um, it's what it's all about. It's the future, you know, and uh, great job. And uh, I'm looking forward to 2020. Thanks for listening to the Outdoor Feast podcast. You can check out our other podcast and more at modcarn.com.